Welcome to Behind the Curtain, L.A. Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. This is James Conlon, music director of Los Angeles Opera. In 2015, Los Angeles Opera presented a series of productions entitled Figaro Unbound, devoted to the inspirational force of that very same Figaro, who is a product of the extraordinary mind and talents of the French 18th century playwright Pierre-Augustin Caron de Beaumarchais. Well, let's call him plain old... Beaumarchais, but as we will see, that was not his name when he was born. At the center of Figaro Unbound was the so-called Figaro Trilogy, a cycle of three comedies increasingly serious as they go along. The main character of Figaro was drawn from the author's own experiences. In fact, he is Beaumarchais himself, not even thinly veiled. The playwright created that name, probably from... Fils de Caron, son of Caron. Beaumarchais' last name at birth, of course, was simply Caron. Try saying Fils de Caron 100 times quickly, and eventually it might become Figaro. And the name Figaro lives on to this day in the form of the oldest daily newspaper in France. It was founded as a satirical weekly in 1826, and it became a daily in 1866, and has remained one of France's principal newspapers ever since. Figaro's signature introduction in Giochino Rossini's opera, The Barber of Seville, became so popular and well-known, it was, and is, emblematic of opera itself, having broken the bonds of classical music and moved into pop culture. Beaumarchais, a man of many talents, is best known today for the worldwide success of a pair of comedies he authored that accompanied the course of French society in the years leading up to and around the time of the French Revolution. His legacy has been partially obscured but simultaneously immortalized thanks to the inspiration that his plays provided for two undisputed masterpieces in the operatic literature. His life reads like a novel, a turbulent, dramatic one. The son of a watchmaker, he quickly succeeded to landing himself a position in the court of King Louis XV in his early 20s. Attracted to power and influence, he quickly found himself in the maelstrom not just of court intrigue, but of international politics as well. At the time of the American Revolution, he was an ardent supporter of the colonial army and went out on a very long limb, financially and politically, to ensure victory against Britain. In addition to Rossini, we will be looking at the other composers who set Figaro to music. Giovanni Paziello, who wrote the very first of numerous Barbers of Seville, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, who wrote The Marriage of Figaro, and John Corigliano, who based his opera, The Ghost of Versailles, on the third of the Figaro plays, The Guilty Mother, La Mer Coupable. Now, why not a thumbnail sketch, a timeline? a sort of oral rogues gallery. The timeline starts in 1732. Pierre-Augustin Caron is born in Paris. In 1740, 
Giovanni Paisiello is born near Taranto in Italy. In 1749, Lorenzo da Ponte, who was to be the librettist for the marriage of Figaro, is born in Venice. 1756, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, born in Salzburg. 1758, Pierre-Augustin Caron begins giving harp instructions to the daughter of King Louis XVI at Versailles. 1764, Caron travels to Spain, where he conceives the character of Figaro. 1765, Pierre-Augustin Caron takes the name Beaumarchais and becomes Caron de Beaumarchais. In 1775, Beaumarchais' The Barber of Seville is premiered in Paris. The next year, 1776, sees the beginning of the American Revolution. By 1777, Beaumarchais is working clandestinely for the French king, supplying American rebels with weapons. In 1778, France officially enters the war with England on the side of the American colonists. In 1778 also, Beaumarchais begins publishing the works of Voltaire in Germany to avoid the French censors. In 1781, Beaumarchais' The Marriage of Figaro is first finished in France, but is soon banned by the King Louis XVI. In 1782, Giovanni Paisiello's opera, based on the Barbara Seville, premieres in St. Petersburg, Russia. In 1784, Louis XVI lifts the ban on Beaumarchais' The Marriage of Figaro. The play finally premieres in Paris. Also in 1784, Paisiello and Mozart will meet in Vienna. In 1786, Mozart's opera, The Marriage of Figaro, premieres in Vienna. 1789, the French Revolution breaks out. In 1791, in December, Mozart dies in Vienna. Less than three months later, Rossini is born in Pesaro, Italy. It is as if the spirits of opera buffa passed from Mozart to Rossini. Later, in 1792, Beaumarchais' third Figaro play, La Mer Coupable, premieres in Paris. Beaumarchais dies in 1799. In 1816, Rossini's opera based on the Barber Seville premieres in Rome. This much to the displeasure of Giovanni Paisiello, who is still alive. However, he dies three months later. We fast forward to the 20th century. French composer Darius Mio, born in 1892, died in 1974, writes an opera, La Mer Coupable, in 1966. Not long afterwards, American composer John Corigliano, born in 1938, will write an opera based on La Mer Coupable. It is called The Ghost of Versailles. It was premiered at the Metropolitan Opera in 1991. In 2015, Los Angeles Opera produced it as well recorded it, and that recording won two Grammys. While listening to our podcast, I would like to let you know that we have attached to our website a synopsis of the operas, assorted visual material, and a bibliography. Giovanni Paisiello's The Barber of Seville is an exquisite opera. I have loved it all of my life. I would like to give you a chance to hear quite a bit of it today. Let's start with the overture.
Beaumarchais was a French playwright, watchmaker, inventor, musician, diplomat, fugitive, spy, publisher, arms dealer, satirist, financier, and revolutionary, both French and American revolutions. Now that's according to Wikipedia, the easiest source of information. But if you want something more detailed, first of all, I recommend the Figaro Trilogy. You can read all three plays in translation. Excellent one by David Coward, which is Oxford University Press, and a very informative introduction also. There is The Real Figaro, written by Cynthia Cox, from 1962. I've had that book almost all my adult life. And then there is Beaumarchais and the American Revolution by Brian Morton and Donald Spinelli. This is a detailed account of everything that Beaumarchais did to help the American Revolution and what happened to him and the whole story after the war was over. And now on to the Barber of Seville. With Rossini's Barber, we are no longer in the court theater, but in the popular sphere that issued from the French Revolution. The characters, personifications of nobles in all walks of the socially structured past, were now treated as equals. Instead of the fearful respect and obsequiousness to which they were accustomed, members of the slowly declining aristocratic class were now subject to ironic and comic denigration. Offspring of the middle class, like Rossini, could more freely harpoon whom they wished. Figaro is not merely a factotum a term of mild disdain for a pre-revolutionary jack-of-all-trades who scrambled for one subsistence. He is now the homos novus, the new man of the 19th century. He incorporates the emerging respect for entrepreneurial spirit in which goods and services are sold for recompense. The self-made man can claim respect hitherto reserved for the privileged hereditary class. So when Figaro makes his entrance in Rossini's The Barber of Seville, we hear the famous Largo al Factotum. His entrance in Paisiello is much more modest. He's writing a song, but yet this is much closer to the original idea of Beaumarchais. The next piece is extremely interesting to me. The Count asks Figaro, where have you been? What have you been doing? Tell me your history. And he says he's been all around Spain, Castilla, 
La Mancha, Asturia, Catalonia, Andalusia, Extremadura, Sierra Morena, Galicia. Interestingly enough, listen to the way that he recites all of these places, and then we're going to make a comparison, which I think is very significant. Now, here's the famous catalogue aria from Don Giovanni. Leporello, the servant of the Don, and therefore kinsman to Figaro himself, reads from a little book. It contains the statistics of all of Don Giovanni's conquests in Italy, 640, in Germany, 331, 100 in France, 91 in Turkey, but in Spain, 1,003, 2,165 in all. In Paisiello, Figaro lists not conquests, but places to which he has traveled and where he has worked. The conceit in both operas is the list, the catalog. <laughs> The story of the comedy of the Barber Seville could be taken from a plot of a Greek comedy. It's the same old story. An old man, Dr. Bartolo, wants to marry his young ward, Rosina. She's in love with a poor young student named Lindoro, who is really the Count of Almaviva. The Count hires his old servant, Figaro, to help him win Rosina, and they are successful thanks to Figaro's cleverness. Youth wins out over age, and all ends happily, except for Bartolo. We actually see the conflict set out beautifully, much more clearly and in a much more interesting manner by Paisiello than later by Rossini. We see Rosina on the balcony. She drops the letter for the young Lindoro. We see the huffing and puffing of Dr. Bartolo, all beautifully set out for us to understand the conflict. Oh, 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 oh,
the Count sings a serenade to Rosina in order to reveal himself and his intentions. First we'll hear Paisiello's version of that, and then we'll hear Rossini's. Rosina reveals herself to be profound, sympathetic, and truly noble in Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. Paisiello prepares that image of her very beautifully in his opera. Now, much has happened between Paisiello's barber and Rossini's, the French Revolution, for instance, and a new world. So Rossini's approach is much more saucy and irreverent, which reflects that post-revolution world. In Paisiello, the story goes on, and Rosina continues her actions, but all to very simple recitative. It's all about the text. But for her big entrance in Rossini, she, of course, gets an introductory aria with a slow section and a fast section, lots of coloratura, lots of fireworks, and all of the things that became characteristic of the bel canto era. <laughs> And here's the second part. and it finishes with a flare. And 
now a minor masterpiece, a trio. Dr. Bartolo is trying to get information out of his two servants as to what Rosina has been up to, and he cannot find out anything at all. Why is that? Because Figaro has given them potions, one to sleep and the other to sneeze. The names of the servants are, of course, ironic. Svegliato, meaning very awake, wakeful, wide awake. He, of course, is always yawning. And then there's Giovinetto, who is ancient. second half of the trio. After he's gotten nothing else out of Svegliato, he calls for Giovinetto. Giovinetto comes in and he sneezes and he sneezes. Svegliato yawns, Giovinetto sneezes, Dr. Bartolo fumes and gets no information. Maledetti, cosa maledetti, non mi intendo, non mi intendo. 
Beaumarchais was no fan of lawyers and doctors, and he ridicules them both in the prison of Dr. Bartolo. He was also no fan of religion and harpoons priests in his next character, Don Basilio. He is a rather comic scoundrel who specializes in intrigue. Don Basilio is officially Rosina's singing teacher, but in reality is working together with Dr. Bartolo to engineer the doctor's wedding to her. When confronted with rumors that the Count of Almaviva has come looking to woo Rosina, he proposes to use calumny as a weapon in order to ruin the reputation of the Count. In a long-winded aria called La Calumnia, which means calumny, we hear him extol the splendors of employing slander as a firearm. La calumnia mia, signore, non Mozart clearly liked this aria and creates a similar one for Dr. Bartolo in The Marriage of Figaro, retaining the same key of D major. It is called La Vendetta, or Vengeance. Paisiello builds the aria up as calumny starts subtly and then grows until it defeats its victim. Rossini clearly liked it also, giving Basilio a similar opportunity, also originally in D major. 
though it is traditionally sung in a lower key now because it is too high for most basses. Basilio starts with a whisper. Then the aria and Basilio excite themselves with the prospect of destroying reputations. First, in Paisiello. And Rossini does the same. Basilio compares calumny to a storm before concluding. And Rossini and Basilio end in a great comic fury. Beaumarchais was no stranger to calumny. In his life, he practiced it when he needed to and felt victimized by it when others used it against him. More than once, these issues would end up in court and he sometimes in jail. 
Hymns of praise to the eternal creator exist by the thousands. Odes to Grecian urns, homages to Venus and other goddesses of beauty are the stuff of prayer, poetry, theater, and opera. But a paean in praise of slander, calumny, and libel, that is exceptional. Of course, it is satire and a social critique of Beaumarchais's world. But his world is not much different from our world. Here's Beaumarchais's speech on slander, issuing, of course, from the aberrant mouth of Don Basile. Slander, my dear sir, you scarcely know what it is that you despise. I have seen the most upright people nearly crushed by it. Believe me, there is no dull piece of spite, no horror, no absurd story that one cannot get the idlers of a great city to believe, if one goes the right way about it. And we have here the right people who are so good at it. First of all, a light rumor, skimming the ground like a swallow before the storm, pianissimo, murmurs and swerves, and so the poisoned seed in flight. One receives it, and piano piano, skillfully slips it into another ear. The evil is done, it sprouts, it creeps, it walks, and rinforzando from mouth to mouth, it spreads like the devil. Then, all at once, you know not how, you see calumny rear up, hissing, swelling, growing before your eyes. It darts forward, extends its flight, whirls, envelops, rends, carries away, flashes forth and thunders, and becomes, thank heaven, a general outcry, a public crescendo, a universal chorus of hate and denunciation. Who the devil could resist it? Well, more on that, the Barber of Seville and Beaumarchais, when we come back. This is James Conlon. You've been listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thanks, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.